Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear By Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money. Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous, like two bedroom suite instead of a one bedroom suite? So you're like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room. So you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys's room. Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by an incredibly talented writer, actor, and comedian who also is a dear friend of mine who happened to join me on the UK, Australia, and New Zealand legs of my tour, Moan Rizwan, where I ask, How funny are you, queen? And just really quickly before we get started, I want to send you a little bit of extra love and extra support through this week. I know this is such a difficult and challenging, confounding time. And for anyone who's affected by the coronavirus, which is literally about everyone right now in the world, thank you. I love you. Keep the faith. 
And I just love you so much. Thanks for listening. And without any further ado, let's hear this week's episode of Getting Curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week is a stunning person, an incredibly um, hilarious comedian. You're a writer. You're a producer. You are someone who I think is a really quickly on their way to becoming a world-renowned sexual comedic icon. Stop it. Um, I like the addition of the word sexual. No one's ever done that before. Yeah, I had to throw it. Well, I, more. I've seen you with your top off. So Thank it's, you. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Moana is one. Yeah, Jonathan. I'm so glad we're doing this. So will you just like set the stage for where we are, when we are, like what are we doing? Yeah, so it's 2020. Uh, my name is Moan Rizwan. Uh, I have been doing stand-up comedy for nearly 10 years. No, 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 no. Like, literally, where are we? Oh, where are we? We're in Australia. Doing? Uh, we're doing the Road to Beijing tour. Which actually uh, doesn't go to... To Beijing. It's not, we're not actually going to Beijing. Very important. You say that now in the show Yeah, I do. Well, I, right? do I have to clarify it. Yeah. Because <laughs> post-coronavirus, yeah. it's a very different title. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so we've done New Zealand, we've done the UK, we're in Australia. Um, I'm having the best time. I have never been on a tour that's so joyous and has so many thousands of people in a room who are like, emit from like minute one, ready to just conjure love. You, I, you know this, right? You know what kind of people you attract and the kind of energy you conjure up is magical. Ah. Well, that's like the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So the question is like, who is, I basically want to just like profile you in a really gorgeous way. It's like, who are you? You know, you're such an incredible person. I do feel like you are just right. You're hitting your springboard about to like your chinko into like world domination. And so really it's like, you know, I think you've had like a really interesting kind of road here. Um, And I really just kind of want to hear about it. Yeah. um, Okay. So... Comma. Yeah, go on. Your job at you're you are a stand up comedian. Yeah. Uh, but also a scriptwriter and also actor. Cause mama gotta pay them bills. And scriptwriting is hard. Oh my god, it's so hard. Because it's not like it's a book. It's so lonely. It's not like a book. Like you have to write like exterior, like so and so's doing blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what you do? Yeah, and then you gotta just be in your room alone all day, imagining what these people might say to each other, and it drives you nuts. And then you leave after 11 hours of doing that on your laptop, you leave the house and you have an actual human interaction and I am bugged out. Like, I don't know how to speak to people because I've been in imaginary heads all day. Do you have, like, an example of this? Like, where you go to order coffee and you just and you just say, like, something completely otherwise? No, like, my housemates will come home from work and then I'll just be in, I'll just be in script writing mode and I'll just be in, like, you know, when you're analysing people and their behaviour and I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, you... Ch- that's how you chose to get out, get the milk out of the fridge. Oh, that's so. That says so much about your character and your narrative arc. You know what I mean? And yes. I need to just stop and like hug them and be like, "Hi," because it's like it's like, <laughs> hello, you're like, human. You're like, what a character choice! Like you went like to the like to the fridge that particular way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, like in script writing, everything's a metaphor. It's like, uh, oh, you know, this character bought mangoes for the first time, and she's eating the mangoes in a way like that's saying something about where she is and how happy she is about her divorce. You know what I mean? Wherein because if it, she was really sad about it, she'd be drinking herself silly like in the morning. Yeah, she wouldn't be buying those mangoes in the first place because mangoes Represent. are the fruit of freedom, baby. Oh. They're my life. Okay, well, you know what? Let's let's just kind of, I think we should transition here to, to mangoes because mangoes are part of what 
made me fall in love with your style. Sure. I was minding my own business in Canada, um, hosting my very first like special that I had ever done. And I knew that you were that you were there and I had seen some of your things, but never IRL. And so you strut out on stage and you do at the end of your set this beautiful music video about mangoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a song about mangoes. It's about mangoes. Um, but you know, if you, if once you get to the third verse, maybe it's a bit something, it's about something more than mangoes. Maybe it's about the patriarchy and how men are so scared to buy any other body shower gel that doesn't say four men on it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't tell people that, but you listen to it a few times and you'll get it. I have, well, I guess really only gotten to listen to it in real life that one time. Yeah. Which is rude of me anyway. It's fine. I'll perform it to you anytime you like. Jonathan. You are right. So, but then sub, like subsequently, like we have to like really reverse. Like we have to like roll back the clocks because I think most stand-up comedians, we can safely say we have a fair amount of baggage that you know we're trying to process mm-hmm. in in like coming to towards mm-hmm. our comedy. A lot of what your comedy is about is about you know your journey. And so you were born in. I was born in Pakistan, and then you came to. The I came to the UK when I was like three or four. And comma. Yeah. One of the things that you worked on is how gay is Pakistan? Yeah. What did you find out? Um, okay, so so growing up in in Essex in England, um I was always told that like my South Asian identity and my queer identity couldn't coexist. Like, that's not possible. Like, my Pakistani friends used to be like, bro, I can't be gay, I'm Pakistani. As if those have any correlation. You know, that's like saying, I can't be vegan, I'm left-handed. It's just bullshit, right? And so I made this documentary for the BBC where I went to Pakistan and I wanted to know, I wanted to see the side of Pakistan that my parents didn't show me. Uh, So I chose a subtle title, How Gay is Pakistan? Well, you got to hit the nose on the head sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, very cryptic. Um... And it was amazing. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was hopeful. I got given this medicine uh, by a religious leader to cure me of my gayness. What uh, was the medicine? I think it was like herbal, so it was some herbal thing or paracetamol. I don't know. <laughs> Point is it worked. I'm well straight now. So that's good. What Didn't waste my money there. Um, He's joking if you can't hear it in his voice. He still <laughs> loves dicks so fucking much. Imagine though. Imagine if I came on this podcast to be like, the real reason I'm here to talk to you, Jonathan, is because I've got this medication that will be really great for our community. Imagine if I did no, that. No, and then you busted it out now. Yeah, and I charged you twelve hundred rupees for it. Well, I once I once did go to this twelve step program, but in this twelve step program, they said that Jesus was the thing that saves you. And then the first mm. thing that the guy asked you when I sat down was like. Son, do you think Jesus could deliver you from your homosexuality? And I said, I've got to get coffee. And I went to Starbucks and I never came back. Yeah, fair enough. I freaked out. But so anyway, you were in Pakistan. How long did you stay for this documentary? Um, So I was out there for a couple of weeks. Um, I met loads of people. I met, I met, uh, there's an amazing underground queer scene in Lahore, in Karachi, in Islamabad. And I just, it was incredible, you know, like... We never meet, a lot of us never meet our queer ancestors. You know what I mean? Like, those stories are the first to get killed off. My skin color, I can't deny. Like, that, those stories actually have stuck around for me. But the queer stories have never, I never got to meet that wayward auntie that people talk about. Or that great-grandfather who, you know, had to, like, get disowned by the family or whatever. 
And if they, I do get told those stories, they're very vague and fogged and covered up in the way the heteronormative world wants to cover them up. So to go there and meet face-to-face people who were fighting every day, you know, transgender women in Karachi who are like, who can't help but be visible. And I'm doing all this amazing work. It was, when I say it, it was so healing and I cried and I, I laughed and I smiled and I, it was amazing. It was incredible. It changed so much for me. And if I saw that documentary when I was 17 on television, it would have changed my life, man. It would have saved so many years of trauma and pain and confusion. What year did you make this documentary? Oh, it was a while ago. It was about six years ago. Can people still find? Oh, it's in. It's on Netflix in America. Ah! Uh! Yeah. So Americans... Which is the most people listen to this. So that's so How Gay is Pakistan on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yeah. So what did you... I mean, so... You, that's an interesting thing you seeing. It's like trans women fighting for their lives in Pakistan because by name, like they, you can visibly see that some of these women are trans. And so like their life is harder because they don't pass in the same way that like other like classically passing like trans people wouldn't have to fight for their lives in the same way. Yeah. But also the transgender community in, in South Asia, this, they have always been a big part of the culture. You know, back in the day, they used to be advisors to emperors and they were highly regarded. Um, and then over time, they got sort of denounced to beggars and and uh, as things got more religious as well, they got pushed aside. And so a lot of people associate the hijra community, which is the transgender community, with begging. Um, but I met this amazing woman called Bubbly in Islamabad who, uh, who have spent years on a campaign trying to get some of uh, the young trans women that she mentors into jobs like being a receptionist at an art school, jobs where people can visibly see, oh, you've got a job just like me, it's all good. Um, yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. So in a, in a, because I mean, Pakistan, like on a government level is like, it's, is it safe to be openly gay in Pakistan when you were there? When you Like, not obviously as a child, but going back and doing this documentary, did you find that it was safe for people to live openly their lives, to live a homosexual lifestyle there? So on a political level, uh, on a government level, no, it's not legal. Pakistan still runs under the colonial British law, uh, which, you know, that means that sodomy is punishable. Um, so that's like the same law that we saw like Alan Turing, who was like instrumental in like cracking the code of the Nazis, mm-hmm. like be like chemically castrated in as late as like the 50s in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So like the United Kingdom has like a very, you know, hundreds year long storied campaign oh, yeah. of like extreme, you know, violence to gay men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when they when they colonized that part of the world, that law was brought in, then they left, they moved on. And <laughs> that part of the world is still suffering from that. Did you, in in your time there, did you, because I mean, the first thing that makes me think of is like HIV AIDS treatment, treatment Mm. is that when we know that like, you know, homosexuality is stigmatized and then HIV AIDS is like so thoroughly stigmatized. It's like, if you can't say to your doctor, Hey, like I'm, you know, having engaging in unprotected Mm. anal sex with other men, you know, it becomes this culture of like secrecy. And like, that's really where like disease can spread. Well, that's the most scary thing, isn't it? When, when people in denial, you're like, guys, can you not act like this is this doesn't exist because then you're not t- you know in terms of a health on a health level uh people are suffering but they what they've done so in, in Pakistan I met this um 
organization called the NAS Mel Health Alliance. And they, with the UN, they get funding to work with people who have HIV and work on a health level. So the government's like, oh, that's okay, because that's to do with health. But under that guise, they're also doing some amazing work around solidarity around community people having a place to go where they can meet some of their other queer brothers and sisters and non-binary people so 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 that that was really hopeful okay we're gonna take a really quick break we're gonna be back with more Moan Rizwan right after this if you follow me on socials or listen to Getting Curious and Pretty Curious, then you'll know I've been on a real makeup journey over the last few years. I've especially been enjoying a more colorful eyeshadow moment, and I've been loving incorporating Thrive Cosmetics full line of makeup into my routine. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. One thing that's really major about Thrive is how much they're prioritizing giving back. It feels good to know that when I support Thrive, Thrive turns around and supports the communities around them too. I also love that their high-performance formulas are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free and have zero parabens, sulfates, and phthalates. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash curious. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash curious for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Moan Rizwan, stunning person, love looking at you, love spending time with you. So, um... What was the organization again that we're just, the name of the organization that was, that's partnering with the UN? NASMEL Health Alliance. So you when you look back at that experience now, it's like you said that in the moment, like you it was very hopeful, but also very like devastating. And well, I mean, just sad and like hopeful all at the same time. Has have you heard anything like from the people that you worked with since? I mean, do you check in with like queer stuff in like Pakistan? Just like when you're reading BBC news or like, cause I always find like when I see something like on HIV, like come up on the news, I'm like reading it. Mm. Like, do you like, I mean, I'm sure that that's like really stuck with you. Of course. Yeah. I think about it like nearly every day, but you know, it's hard cause I feel this weird distance with Pakistan because so every time I go to certain places around the world, you know, especially America, I get a really hard time, uh, you know, in um, at border at the border. What was it called? The, the border, immigrations customs the customs. Border, that's yeah. it. <laughs> customs. I'm so traumatized by them. I forget to even remember the word. So yeah, when I go to customs, I get a hard time, and they they really like interrogate me about why did you go to Pakistan? What was the reason? What's your connection with Pakistan? And it's like I have to prove myself innocent you know just because i'm associated i was born in that country i can't help that um and recently i don't know if i want to talk about it loads but recently with your tour as well and you know i wanted to we i was going to support you out in the u.s and my visa application just ah uh, just terrible terrible what happened there and i couldn't do that and it was an amazing opportunity and i wanted to be there and i wanted to experience it so I have this funny relationship with Pakistan where the world, the, you know, the embassies, they have, they they associate that country with, you know, basically restricting my freedom, even though I'm a British citizen now. Um, so I don't go back there a lot. Because also... Because it creates like headaches and... It creates, oh, yeah. Because then like in terms of, so basically to me, like that, it, it points to this, 
uh, it's Islamophobia. It's like, I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to. It's like, you know, the United Kingdom, the United States have basically like created this, you know, overwhelming fear within their own um, enforcement agencies about Islamic people and, or about Muslim people, not Islam. <laughs> uh, but yeah, about Muslim <laughs> people. And it's so unfair. And I'm, you know, it's, I'm so sorry that you had to go through, to go through that. So comma, I mean, so you were, do you remember living in Pakistan when you were a little booby baby? I mean, I feel like I remember being like, I think I have like flashes of random memories from being like two and three, like finding a tea bag and like tearing it down the middle. Cause I thought that was like how you made tea. And I remember my mom wow. being like, no, like, cause like there was like a hot cup of water and I was like, Ugh, and like tore open the tea, like over it. Like, do you have any memories of like, I remember like, um, I remember like what a fence looked like outside our house. And then I remember like the smell of a sweet shop, which I didn't know I remembered until I was in Lahore, my place of birth for this documentary. And I walked past this like hole in the wall sweet shop. And I was like, oh my God, what's that smell? And I, I, I tracked it back and I just couldn't leave that place. It was so beautiful. And it was like, I went back to my birth. It was, I can't explain it, but Lahore has this sweet smell in the air, which is also with a bit of pollution and dust all mixed together and sweat <laughs> and mangoes and roses. And, I'm, oh, it's amazing. And so I, I have little flashes like that in my memory. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was three or four when I came to the UK. And, uh, yeah, so I, I ha- definitely have an attachment there. Like, a big part of my identity is my Pakistani heritage. And at the same time, I'm kind of, I feel like a, a baby of the world, you know, like I, I think, I think the reason my, my mum really wanted to bring us to the UK was for a better standard of life. There was, there was a lot of stuff that she, as this badass person wanted to do that was, she, you know, that she didn't have the resources and were restrictive for her. So she was the first um, woman in her village, in her town to ride a bicycle. And everyone was like, oh my God, she rides a bicycle. She's a prostitute. So she, she like sat on a bicycle seat. Yeah. And she like didn't need, you know, the company of a man to travel. And everyone was like, oh, the scandal, which is actually makes no sense, really. Um, so my mom was, all, all, you know, she had big dreams and she knew that the society around her weren't going to let her achieve those dreams. And she knew that she had to hustle and fight her way out of there to give her kids the opportunity to do what they wanted. And so it meant that grow, growing up, there was a very strict environment in the house. My mom was like, I've made way too many sacrifices for you to be getting a B plus in maths. Don't you dare, like, that's a slap in my face. Were you getting a B what? To get a B plus. Oh, in math. Yeah. I thought you said plus in maths. I was like, what's that? You know, plus in maths. Everyone took that photo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait. So when you went to Lahore to do How Gay is Pakistan, how old, how old were you? I must have been 23, 4. And then how old was your mom when she left Pakistan with you? Good question. Uh, so 20, you you 26 years ago, it was 26 minus 60. Oh, uh, 34? Yeah. So I think, watch it. Be well, like, she was young. I forget. So, yeah, I mean, I just was wondering, like, what that's like. It's like when you went back, you're like, you know, at that age, like, just thinking about what, gender means to a female or to like a young mom in Pakistan, what that 
like, you know, I think, you know, you don't think of your gender as being something. I mean, obviously, I think in America, we, you know, we just did an episode on, you know, the gender wealth gap. And I think mm. that we, you know, we talk about, obviously, there's a lot of differences in, and, you know, the the possibilities that your, your life can have based on your gender, your, you know, if you are cisgender, if you are trans, like, you know, those, those all have a lot to do, like what your opportunities will be, what your struggles will be. And, you know, I think what the opportunities and the struggles will be for our sons and our daughters and, you know, the differences and similarities are something that we talk about a lot in America. But I think what you were just talking and in the, you know, the Western world, but I think what you're talking about, and I think that's something we, a lot of people don't think about is like what what your gender means to you if you are born in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, like the Middle East, it it, it does seem to be, it would be a different conversation than what it would be in the Western Mm -hmm. world. Totally. You know, it's funny, like with everything I know now and the conversations I have with my parents, I made a, I made a rule with myself. I said, I'm never, I'm not going to live a lie with my parents because like generation after generation. And I think this is a hangover from colonialism as well. This sort of like, don't make a fuss. Okay. Do as you're told, get by, you know, don't, don't, don't draw outside of the lines too much because you draw attention to yourself and life is hard as it is for us. So that has led to us being so secretive with each other you know, and so I said, I, I always said to myself, I'm going to be really open to my parents. I sat my mum down and I do this in, in the stand up bit and I'm doing it on the on this tour as well. The bit about, you know, telling telling my mum all the shocking things in my life all in one go. Because I was like, listen, mate, you know about my queerness. You might as well know about ketamine and my nipple piercing, you know, and you're going to hear this. Otherwise, one of us is going to die without knowing who the other one is. And I don't want a relationship like that with you, mum or dad. So... I have these conversations and I'm like, yeah, I'm teaching them about all these things and look at me like opening their minds. And then I learned that actually they have had a, you know, a rich life and they've seen it all and they've done it all. They just haven't talked to me about it because that's not what we're meant to do. Your dad too? Oh yeah. I mean, my, you know, like. I feel like he's not in the set as much. Or is he? Yeah. He's a bit more shy. Because you do that, because that lunch story is, the story where you guys are at lunch where you sit her down to talk to her about it is like. Yeah hilarious yeah i mean but i feel like we really you need to buy a ticket and come to the show but rest assured it's fucking hysterical and it's all true my mom i literally told my mom all these shocking things about my life thought you were gonna blow her hair back yeah 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 and then she was like okay great are you done because now it's my turn and then she tells me she's like yeah i've uh i used to drink alcohol uh me and your dad are getting a divorce and when i was 15 i was in love with a woman anyway should we get the menu i was (laughs) like mom what and how are you going to just unpack this, like, just like that? It's so casual. All those years I've been fighting with you around, like, what it is for me to be your queer son. Now you want to bring up that you had a relationship with a woman for six years in the 60s in Pakistan? Like, what? And so she's been through it all. And she is such a badass. And she has always defied the gender norms of where she grew up and what it meant to be. You know, like, this is what bugs me about a lot of the me- like media and television and shows and stories that you hear, especially of women of my mum's age and my mum's background, you see them in a certain way, you know, like the immigrant mother who sort of, you know, who, who the housewife or the one who sort of is in the shadow of, of, her, of her husband who brought the kids over here and, you know, and sort of subservient. And my mum was not, my mum was, she worked three jobs. She was on it in every respect. 
she was a survivor. She was a hustler. She went out to live in New York, you know, for for quite. For, she she tried settling there at first and had this crazy battle with immigration. She used to sell hair clips on Brooklyn Bridge, <laughs> and she tells me she was like, "Oh yeah, I spend all day being like dollar, 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 dollar," and then you know most of that would go to her the babysitting fee. So yeah, my mum has broken all the rules around gender. So she's actually been a big inspiration for me, you know. Growing up, like, I used to dress up in her clothes all the time. And I think a lot of my work now, which is why I resonate with a lot of your stuff as well. It's just about, you know, just not caring so much about that stuff and not being so binary and boring. It's, you know what I mean? And people can't be what they can't see. People need to see a range of people queer people, non-binary people living authentically so that they can feel like they can comfortably exist in their own skin and, you know, in the person they are, right? Yeah. So what was growing up in Essex like? I mean, so Essex is like, it's like pretty close to London. Yeah. Like, can you get the tube from Essex to London? Or you can does get it not an overground. You can get an overground yeah. from Essex to London. Yeah. So did you grow up like, like, would you guys go to London on like the weekends? Like, or was it not so much? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So do you know, so there's a show called The Only Way is Essex. That's what it's most famous for. And they all talk like this, babes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, there was a bit of that going on. Uh, And my school actually was very segregated. Like, like all the black people would hang out together. All the Asian people would hang out together. All the white people would hang out together. And then my brothers who, my brother who's five years younger than me, apparently wasn't like that in his year. So I think it changed. But in my year, it was very like, I remember once I had this thing where like me and this girl, like they were rude, like we were potentially going to get together and it was all like looking at it like it was going to happen. And then, you know, there was this, this just massive uproar and all the white boys were like, oh, can you beep her name when I say it? Yeah. Okay. Everyone was like, oh, she's getting with, she's getting with Moan, she's getting with a Pakistani and it caused this massive uproar and then it never happened. Uh, so you got we so could have been happily married by now blocked you <laughs> yeah imagine Rude. imagine if only you you know well I mean do you occasionally tend to go for the random Pete or well that's a but do you like vagina sometimes no no so I mean it wasn't gonna work out right, anyway right, right like other than yeah but sexuality and racism yeah both. yeah yeah oh we have to take a really quick break <laughs> we'll be right back for more with Moan Rizwan so right you can process that. what I just said Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them ever take their first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Having built a business or two myself, I know just how difficult the whole process is. But Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Yes! From LLC information to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC information plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash JVN. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash JVN. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. So we have Moan Rizwan. And so you moved to the United Kingdom when you were a small boy. And so you and your brother? Uh, me and my sister. You and your sister. And then my brother was born in the UK. Okay, so you and your yeah. sister come uh, with your mummies. And then... Um, and then 
And then my dad followed like six years later. He had, we had a crazy old battle with immigration. But so even, because I thought that Pakistan had like a cuter relationship with immigration for the United Kingdom. Because isn't it like, because isn't it that like, you know, the United Kingdom came in and like did all that stuff to Pakistan. So they were like, oops, sorry, we really like fucked up your role. But if you want to come live here afterwards, like you can. Or am I overparalyzed? I wish. I mean, I don't know. Like, I only know my story, my mom's story. uh, And also the people grew up around and it was tough. Like we on our road, but there used to be like a family getting deported a month and we got a deportation letter. So after about six, seven years in the country, uh, we got a letter through the post and I just remember seeing my mum in the living room and she opened it and she just, just broke down. She was on the sofa, just like, she just couldn't move. And she basically told me, you know, everything we've built, all that hard work we've done is, it was all for nothing. Um, and my mum used to, she used to, she used to do a lot of work for the Labour Party and uh, she used to do rallies and she used to help other immigrants. She used to teach English to a lot of other immigrants in our uh, area. And uh, she was doing this like, she was at this rally and then she got up and did this speech and she just broke down. And there was a solicitor, a solicitor in the audience who heard her story, was really moved and he said, I'll deal your case for free. Is and a solicitor then, like British for immigration lawyer? Lawyer, yeah, basically. Uh. So he, yeah, so otherwise she wouldn't have been able to afford that. But then also uh, a Labour MP was like, this woman has done so much for the community. Here's all of the culture enriching activities she's involved in. She contributes so much. You know, they just, they just had her back. People had her back and the community stood up for her. And that was more often than not, you know, that wasn't the case for a lot of people. Uh, and especially people who couldn't speak English. Like, there were people who, who who tried, struggled, were sent back. And that was more of a reality. You know, we were lucky. Um, and then my dad was another six-year battle. We we used to have times when my dad used to go to sign on every two weeks. He'd go to the immigration office. Uh, and sometimes they would just keep him. They would just detain him. And this is in, you know, the days before a mobile phone. So my mom just used to, like, stay up all night crying. We'd be like, where's dad? And like, well, I don't know. I don't know if they've sent him back. I don't know if they're just keeping him for the night. So some horrible, tumultuous freaking times, man. And, you know, people think, oh, yeah, okay, fine. But you stayed in the country. You got a better life. Stop complaining. But the repercussions of that, you know, what it did to our relationship. My, my parents, they've broken up. I think the, the strain that puts on a relationship, the, the amount of therapy I'm doing to undo some of that shit. Which is why I love comedy. Comedy was a was a a, sa- a saving tool for for me and my brother, you know, because we got to be silly, and we knew that the people were laughing in the room, things were going to be okay. I, I associated comedy with hope, um, and I remember making these YouTube videos. That's how I started comedy, and when I used to put my parents in them, they were funny. Like for once, they weren't arguing, they weren't stressed about being deported back to Pakistan, they weren't talking about money. They were just silly. My mum used to put, I used to give her a wig and then she used to transform into these characters. And I was like, what the, what? Mum, you're really good. And I remember being like, oh my God, I think I could actually like my parents. Because they're funny. Uh, I love when you, like, when you realize, like, that the power dynamics in your relationship with your parents are shifting because you're an adult and you can start to see them more as people, which is really very fun. Um, But wait, I want to talk about, like serious stuff again more. So, okay. So 
when we first started this conversation, you were saying that you felt like you couldn't bring together your Pakistani identity and then your queer identity. And so I think that's really interesting because really like that, you know, that is like what intersectionality is. Like you are British, you are Pakistani, you are gay. This is an intersectional, you know, beautiful person that you are. I also think that in the, in the spaces that the United Kingdom and the United States are in, especially in light of, you know, we, we, on I'm getting curious. We're just interviewing Deborah Archer, who's an incredible uh, civil rights advocate and lawyer. And, and she was explaining to us, well, I was basically saying, asking her, you know, there's so many white people and so many people in the United States that just want to say, well, you know, slavery was like 150, 175 years ago. Like it's, it's over. Like it's, you know, this every, like, I don't see race. I don't see color. Like where I just see people. And really that is, you know, a really incredible, I think it's kind of a, a short-sighted, like uh, insensitive thing to say, because it's like, there's so much time lost, wages lost, opportunity costs lost, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years for black and brown, you know, Americans. And I think, you know, for British people, it's like, there is this, I think the culture of expressing uh, an injustice or like the culture around expressing unfairness is so different in the United Kingdom than it is in the United States. I think that's one thing that's very different. Like we, you fucking pinch our toe, we are going to fucking scream about it. I think in the United Kingdom, it is a lot more silent and I've been spending a lot more time there recently. And, you know, to see what the vitriol that like Meghan Markle has gone through and, and to see like the, this really intense, loathing for, so, I mean, obviously I'm talking about Pierce Morgan, but there's other British talking heads too that do this. Or it's like, you've gone out and you've painted our whole country as racist. Like you've gone out and you've written this op-ed or you've done this and you have like made our country seem racist. And I think it's, and you know, we've, Tan has weighed in on that. Like we've had Tan on this mm. show. We've, he's talked about his experience with racism in the United Kingdom. But I think that it's like, to say that there is, that there is racism present in a society or a country doesn't mean that the that there is something um evil or like unfixable or like there every society will always have issues like we're all and so I, I think basically I guess what I'm trying to say but I'm talking a whole lot about it is that it's like as someone who is an intersectionally marginalized person albeit extremely talented has you know really navigated the their way in the world very well his way in the world very well what do you think about the state of race in the United Kingdom, of the state of race in the United States? You know, does the same hopeful and devastation feel that you that you had on, like, queer people in Pakistan? It kind of feels the same. It's like both. Mm. I don't know. Tell I, me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't compare it to the U.S. because I've, I've not spent much time there. It's funny, you know, because I, like... We're at, we're, we're at a stage where there is a lot... There is backlash, isn't there? There's people going, what do you mean? I'm, you can't just call me racist. Like, people... In a way, it's like, don't make it about you. <laughs> you know, this isn't, in a way, it's like, we don't, I don't care to call someone racist and I don't care to like really make a point of them as a person being racist. I'm just there pointing out what you did there. There was a lack of empathy in that. You know, there's a, I think people have to be proactive in the way they learn how to grow around this stuff because we're so uncomfortable about talking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess it, you, though, specifically, 
and your family have been so affected by systemic racism. Like it is this, it, it's, it's systemic racism. Like your dad getting taken away when, cause like, why did your dad have to go and check in every two weeks? So they can make sure that he's not like running away, becoming a criminal. They could just keep an eye on him. So and, is, and also in this power thing being like, look, you're here without a state, you know. But would an American immigrant or would a, uh, would a, would a French, would a Canadian, would a American, would any immigrant in that time have had to have gone and checked in every two weeks? No, I don't know why they did. I guess. It seems like it's like a, Paca- is it a Pakistan? Is it a Middle Eastern thing? Like, I mean, we didn't, so growing up, I, I would, I didn't see that systemic racism. I just saw it as this is a thing that happens. And right. actually a lot of people around me were going through a similar thing. So but I was like, oh, is, I guess this is normal. Is, but that is systemic racism. Like the fact that you know, that is systemic racism. The fact that, you know, um, you couldn't get into the United States is that is systemic racism because you check a box of this person was born in Pakistan. This person has visited Pakistan. This person has a penis. That means by our standards of, you know, uh, Admitting someone, it points to terrorists, it points to threat, it points to, and it doesn't see any of the, you are a brilliant writer, you're a brilliant actor, you are a brilliant entertainer, you're a provenly brilliant entertainer, like, as your videos that you produced, written and directed have massed, you know, millions and millions of views, which is like a light and and a life's experience that like, you know, a lot of people won't get to share and won't get an experience to because of the systemic racism Mm. That you have encountered. So I guess it's like, you know, Boris Johnson is, you know, newly elected. Brexit is, it has happened. Um, they, they are seeming like they're going to move to a points-based immigration system. Mm-hmm. Is there, I guess the question is like, is there a silver lining? I mean, I guess there is. I mean, it's like, I feel like you've navigated this like system, but you're also like an able-bodied man. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I wonder like for a female, for, it just... Is there is there other cool people doing cool things like that you that like who are you following on the gram that's British mm. and Pakistani and like doing cool stuff? Um I actually there's a night I go to in London called Hangama, which is a queer hip hop Bollywood night. And so I meet I mean that's my like spiritual home. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I'm feeling down, I like I go there and some of the performers there and and what they're doing is run by someone called Ryan Lange. Um, and there's there's also Glamru. Have you heard of Glamru? Uh, they're just they're just doing their thing in their own way, and they're not letting people tell them what they can and can't do. Um, and it's funny, you know, when you when I'm in a room full of uh, queer people of color, there is a there's there's a hunger, there's a passion there, and I think part of that is the immigrant work ethic. We were you know, that was instilled in us when we were kids with, you know, the idea that like, I struggled to get to this country. I've made loads of sacrifices. So you, my child will not let me down. These are the marks you have to hear that pressure. And sometimes it was horrible. Sometimes it really got us through, you know, we got good grades. We, we knew how to work our asses off at the age of 12. We were like, you know, failure wasn't an option. And that's given us a lot of strength, but that's also given us, a certain amount of fucked upness. You know what I mean? Like we to navigate 
through this world and still be a healthy, well-balanced person who can inv- ha- spends time investing in relationships, does the work on themselves, does the therapy, you know, has a b- well-balanced life. Like I am working so hard to make sure that I'm not only achieving all the markers of, of, of success that I feel like I need to, to prove myself to the world. And so I thought I was past all that. I thought we were through all that and now I'm just this like beautiful, you know, free spirit who just makes comedy and and can do stuff that's surreal and free and I can dance and rap and tell jokes. And then you hit a wall and you're like, oh, oh shit, okay, reality check. So I don't know is the answer. I'm still trying to work out how I navigate through all that and still have a well-balanced life and not be bitter all the time. Yeah, You know what I mean? I'm fucking angry, man. Well, it- <laughs> yeah, which is weird because I'm not an angry person. And I'm like, how do I turn this anger into comedy? Because if I can't turn it into comedy, I also can't process it. Like, that's my way of coping with shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, comedy feels like a really good a really good outlet. It's like one that I very much, you know, also use. Mm-hmm. I, I just have one more question. Um, do you think that the... Is... Well, I guess comparison is the thief of all joy. But... Like, if Donald Trump wins this year, would I be better off or worse off moving to the United Kingdom? Obviously, like, you're probably going to have Boris for five more years, but he doesn't seem like he's such a climate change denier. No, here's what we're going to do, okay? Make a different country? We're going to go to New Zealand. Oh. We're going to live on a shack on a beach, and we're going to delete our Twitter accounts. Wait, and now I have one more thing, that I, and then we'll start to go. So you accidentally turned your mom into an actress. Yes, let's unpack this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, because I, I used to put my mom in my videos, and she happened to be this amazingly charismatic, beautiful, talented person. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I never saw that side because you were so busy paying the bills. But basically, my mum um, my got spotted. Uh, I got a call from a producer in India one day. Um, this is after I, you know, I got, uh, some of my videos went viral and I got a bit of an online audience. Um, and they were like, yeah, we're casting for a lead role in a primetime TV series. I was like, okay, tell me more. They're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want you. We want your mum. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked my mum, I was like, mum, there's this thing. Do you want to audition for it? And she was like, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go. So we send off this tape. Don't think anything of it. Three months later, I get a call from the same producer. She's like, yeah, we want to cast your mum as the lead. Send her on the first plane to Mumbai. So my mum moves out to India. Starts, what year is this? This is like six, seven years ago now. She starts working as a Bollywood actress, ends up staying there for five years. She can't go to a supermarket in India or in a South Asian area in the UK without getting mobbed. Yeah. We got to get her on the gram. I know. And not that, because we already talked about that one. with the, We got to get a checkmark girl. I, you could retire next year, like off of your mom's endorsements on I Instagram. Know. And you could literally just like write your comedy when you feel like, <laughs> when and if you feel like it. You know what, though? She doesn't need any more encouragement. You could be she her sonager. She the attention. You could be her sonager. Really? You think? Yeah. I want my mom to be my momager, but she doesn't want to do it. Momager. I love it. You could be a power broker sonager. I'll, I'll propose it to her. Well, she's actually moved back to the UK now, and she's signed with my agent. <sighs> my mom's the dream, man. She's she's incredible. So what... Where, what's coming up for you? You work on sex education, which we love. Yeah. Massive fans. Very excited for season three because it just got officially renewed. Yeah, we're right in season three now. It's such a dream job, man. It's, it is very much a, like runaway success. You have to watch it. 
You watched or you wrote season two, episode two. two. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, nailed yeah. it. So make sure you watch that. And then what else is coming up? Where else can people find you? Um, so I'm doing my new, I'm doing a new Edinburgh show at the Edinburgh Fringe this August. Um, all my live dates, tickets are on moan.co.uk and Moan R on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm about doing shit. I've got a, I've got a Sky Comedy series coming out in, um, in October. A Sky Comedy series? Sky Comedy series. That's called- like all over the United Kingdom, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, I think it's on. It's going to be on Now TV as well. If you, okay, last question, I swear to God. Yeah. And then actually there's one more after that. I was called so, Two Weeks to Live, by the way. Two Weeks to Live is the, two weeks to live. Uh, yeah. the Sky Comedy series? Yeah, with Maisie Williams. Oh my... Yeah. Subtle name drop. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Are you both are you both starring mm-hmm. in it? Girl. We we have a we we're a, we're a couple. So if you had to name your comedy style in like one sentence. One sentence, okay. It can be a run-on. Slut dropping realness. Surreal, silly, but with heart. That sounds nice. Love that. That's the best I can do. That's great. Is so, it, was the beginning slut dropping? Yeah, slut dropping realness. Oh, I love I that. I slut drop a lot in my... I think that's my life mission. Also, my life mission is to change the name from slut drop to sex positive descent. The name is so judgy. We need to I change I think if it. you keep showing your taint on stage, it's going to happen. Okay. Yeah, you just have to like keep showing your taint to everybody. Sure. I'm just kidding. I'll do it. But I... Think that that could make everyone happier. Yeah. Then, last question is, I just like to say taint. I always have. <laughs> My last question is, uh, in this part of the podcast, like, what did we miss? What do you want to talk about? It's Yogi Recess. Like, you really wanted to do, like, Revolve Trikonasana, but I didn't see that coming because everyone hates doing Revolve Trikonasana, so I skipped it. I just I don't triangle. even know what that is. It's like, I just did triangle pose in today's yoga class, but, like, you wanted to do Revolve Triangle, so uh... now you can go do that for, like, a minute and a half. <gasps> Uh, the best bit I love doing at the end of a yoga class. Not literally that. Honey. I like, know. No. I know, but I like to tell you anyway. Okay. I, you know, when you just, you, when you sit still and do nothing. Shavasana. I love Shavasana. Yeah, Shavasana. I wish the whole class could just be the Shavasana. Yeah. So, but what's like the last minute of things that we missed? Did, is, did like, because, you know, someone told me the other day on the podcast, that I non-binary explain a lot. Like I talk over people. So did I like interrupt you on something? Do you need to get a whole thought out? Like, oh. I'm sure I did. What do you want to talk? Is there anything no, else you No, I thought you let me talk way too much. Really? <laughs> I was like, when is, when is he going to interrupt me? This is a tangent and a half. And it, no, none of it was that tangent. It was all very, really good. Okay, good. So I think I got it all out. This has been like therapy. Thank you. You're so welcome. You have a lot of rows of eyelashes. Yeah, I know. I know. I love them. Ah, I, I sometimes I just I I thank the universe for my eyebrows and my eyelashes. Yeah, they really gave they you a gift, good go. Yeah, from my ancestors. Well, thank you, Mama. And well, thank you, Mawan. Yeah, Jonathan, it's been so fun. And now we're going to go do a show. Now we're going to go do a show in Australia and literally Brisbane. Uh, Bye. Bye. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them, too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. 
The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Mawan Rizwan. You'll find links to his work on the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. S'il vous plaît. That means, if you please, in French. And I also hope you're doing well through all of this incredibly challenging time. And I love you so much. Thanks so much for supporting Getting Curious, and I'll see you next time. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Carrillo, Emily Bosick, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.